Welcome listeners, but take heed, we will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. Before we begin, please be aware, we have a tendency to swear. You have been warned, make no mistake, so join us now, we're For Fox Sake. Welcome to For Fox Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, and the adorable but scrappy badger to my left is Carly. Scrappy-dappy-doo! Let's fly into the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered the first half of Chapter 2, Spinner's End, and the somewhat corresponding film scenes. A new mama stepped onto the scene, and her name is Narcissa. We see a lot of sister arguments as Bella tries to stop Narcissa from going wherever she's headed. Snape appears on the scene, or if you're watching the movie, Wormtail does. In a Sweeney Todd-esque moment, Sissy and Bella enter Snape's house. In the book, we get a lot of answers, and in the movie, we are, as always, left with more questions than answers. During episode 196, Explosnapeption, our Potter pondering was, what do you think about how the movie portrayed the scene between Snape, Narcissa, and Bellatrix about Voldemort's plan and Snape's loyalties. G'day, it's Jackson here, calling in my Potter pondering. Do I think the movie did a good job of portraying the conversation between Snape, Bellatrix and Narcissa, considering they left out the questions and that? I mean, honestly, it didn't do too bad a job. I mean, we got the part about how Bellatrix doesn't trust Snape and, you know... We got up to everything else. But, yeah, I really would have liked to have seen Helena Bottom Carter and um, Alan Rickman going back and forth. That would have been amazing. I mean, I don't know. I think the movie did it okay, but it just would have been better if we'd gotten that. So we got Bilks there, but it wasn't as bad as some of the other ways we've been built by these movies. Hi, this is Jessica calling in my Potter Pondering for this week. Obviously, I prefer they keep it all in. They did leave out a lot of dialogue and details, but they did get the gist of it across. Narcissa is out of options and worried about Draco. Bellatrix doesn't trust Snape. We're supposed to question Snape's loyalties. Wormtail is there for some unknown assistant reason. I think it's fine. It's far from the worst scene adapted for this movie. So, this one gets a pass for me. Not great, but good enough. I do, however, like the change of Narcissa's hair because she's got the black hair for being of the black family. Then she dyed part of it blonde because she married into the Malfoy family, who are all blondies. It makes more sense to me like that. Also, I have to admit, it took me way too long to realize that Sissy was a nickname for Narcissa and not Sister. My name is Zach and this is my Potter Pondering. The question was, uh, what do you think about how the movie portrayed the scene between Snape and Bellatrix about Snape's loyalties? This has always been one of my bigger pet peeves uh, in the movie. I personally love that scene in the book. I'm actually on that again for like my 800th time going through it, but um, I just love the setting that's painted in that uh, scene where Bellatrix is uh you know running after narcissa and narcissa kind of is you know at her breaking point and snaps and you know even you know kind of curses bellatrix a few times just to get her away and i just like the dreary rainy picture that they paint uh, of that small muggle town and you know obviously the uh bellatrix killing the fox and there's just so much more in depth you know, in the books, especially when they actually get inside, because, you know, majority of that scene is Snape answering Bellatrix's questions about why he didn't come to the Dark Lord right away. You know, why did he stay at Hogwarts hidden behind Dumbledore, etc. And they really didn't go into any of that whatsoever in the movies. All they did was, you know, Bellatrix saying, he trusted you. And, you know, and Snape saying, your sister doubts me. Fair enough. You know, that's really all they do with the movie. So not much at all. Could have been much, much better done. So hopefully they do it in the HBO show. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, why does Narcissa think Voldemort chose her son for his plan? The answer is vengeance for Lucius's mistake or to punish Lucius. 
Congratulations goes to Kalista Whitewolf. Yay! This is her second week in a row. It's officially a streak. I do have to give an honorable mention to Mike Riley, who was just right behind her. He may have even posted it at the same time as her on Facebook, but Kalista did get her answer in on Podbean, since again, Podbean still is not auto-posting the episodes to Facebook, and I have to remember to do that on my own. So, here's hoping that I remember to do it right at 8 o'clock when it posts this week. I'm setting an alarm, so hopefully I do remember to do it right on time for y'all. And maybe it'll be Kalista's third week in a row. Maybe Mike will get in there before her. Maybe Marissa is going to get there before either of them because she wasn't too far behind. Who's it going to be? You never know. For now, let's dive into the second half of Chapter 2, Spinner's End, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 2, Spinner's End, Part 2. Snape explains that the Dark Lord thought he had left him forever, but was wrong. Bellatrix demands to know what use he has been and what useful information they've had from him. Snape coolly informs her that he gives his information directly to the Dark Lord. As he begins to bring up whether or not he chooses to share it with her, Bellatrix fires up, insisting that he shares everything with her and starts to say that he calls her his most loyal and most faithful servant. But Snape interrupts her to ask if he still does after the ministry fiasco. Bellatrix blushes, insisting that it was not her fault. As she begins to cast the blame on Lucius, Narcissa speaks up to call her out on it. Snape smoothly intercedes to say there is no point in apportioning blame. What is done is done. Again, Bellatrix angrily speaks up to point out that it wasn't done by him as he was absent while they all faced dangers. Snape points out that he was ordered to stay behind since Dumbledore would have noticed if he'd joined forces with the Death Eaters to fight the Order of the Phoenix. This makes Bellatrix bring up why he claims he cannot reveal the whereabouts of their headquarters, and Snape has to remind her how the Secret Keeper enchantment works. He also shares that the Dark Lord is satisfied with the information he has been able to pass as it led to the recent capture and murder of Emmeline Vance and certainly helped dispose of Sirius Black, though he gives her full credit for finishing him off. Bellatrix's expression does not soften as she tells Snape he's avoiding her last question about Harry Potter. He could have killed him at any point in the past five years, but hasn't. Snape asks if she's discussed this with the Dark Lord, and she stutters before declaring that she's asking him. Snape says that if he had murdered Harry Potter, the Dark Lord would not have been able to use his blood to regenerate. Bellatrix jeers at this, wondering if he's claiming he foresaw the use of the boy. But Snape clarifies that he does not claim that. He's merely stating why the Dark Lord is not sorry Potter survived up until recently. Bellatrix again asks why he kept him alive, and Snape exasperatedly informs her that it was only Dumbledore's protection keeping him out of Azkaban, and murdering his favorite student would have turned him against him. On top of that, when Potter first arrived at Hogwarts, there were still many stories and rumors that he himself was a great dark wizard. He was curious to learn more about him and therefore not inclined to murder him the moment he stepped foot in the castle. Once it quickly became apparent that he had no extraordinary talent at all, he's done his utmost to have him kicked out of Hogwarts, but to kill him or allow him to be killed in his presence would have been too risky with Dumbledore close at hand. Bellatrix wonders how Dumbledore never suspected him in all this time, and Snape explains how he has played his part well and points out that she's overlooking Dumbledore's greatest weakness. He has to believe the best in people. He spun him a tale of deepest remorse when he joined his staff and was embraced with open arms though never allowing him nearer the dark arts than he could help. Snape mentions how Dumbledore has been a great wizard. Even the Dark Lord agrees. 
but that he's pleased to say he's growing old and has since sustained a serious injury due to slower reactions. But through all these years, he has never stopped trusting Severus Snape, and that is his great value to the Dark Lord. Bellatrix still looks unhappy, but doesn't seem to know how to best attack Snape next. So, in her silence, he turns back to Narcissa and asks how he can help her. Narcissa looks up at him in despair and tells him that she has nowhere else to turn with Lucius in jail. She closes her eyes and mentions how the Dark Lord forbade her to speak of the secret plan, and Snape interrupts her to say that she shouldn't speak of it, since the Dark Lord's word is law. Narcissa gasps, but Bellatrix looks triumphant for the first time, telling her sister that even Snape says she should hold her silence. Meanwhile, Snape stands and moves to the window to peer out at the deserted street before pulling the curtains closed again and quietly informing the sisters that he knows of the plan, being one of the few the Dark Lord has told. He does remind Narcissa that she would have been guilty of great treachery if he had not been in on the secret, but she breathes more freely, expressing that she thought he must know about it. Bellatrix is again outraged that Snape knows, and Snape confirms that he does, but then asks Narcissa how he can help her, because he won't be able to change the Dark Lord's mind. Narcissa begins crying, pleading with him about her only son, and Bellatrix declares that Draco should be proud since the Dark Lord is granting him a great honor and praising him for not shrinking away from his duty. This only makes Narcissa cry harder as she points out that he's only 16 and has no idea what lies in store. She figures it must be a punishment for Lucius's mistake and asks Snape if that is why he has chosen Draco. Snape tries to dodge the question by saying Draco will be honored above all others if he succeeds, but Narcissa is sure he won't be able to, starting to point out that even the Dark Lord himself hasn't. But Bellatrix gasps, and Narcissa trails off before backtracking and saying that nobody has succeeded yet. She pleads with Severus again, asking as Draco's favorite teacher, Lucius's old friend, and the Dark Lord's favorite to speak to him and persuade him. Snape flat out refuses to attempt to persuade the Dark Lord, and also concedes that he is angry with Lucius, who was supposed to be in charge but got himself captured. Narcissa is sure this means he expects Draco to be killed trying, and when Snape doesn't respond, she stands up and staggers over to him, seizes his robes, and begs him to do it instead. Snape catches her wrists and removes her hands as he slowly tells her that he thinks he intends him to do it in the end, but is determined that Draco try it first, because if he does succeed, he can remain at Hogwarts as a spy a little longer. Narcissa takes this as meaning it doesn't matter to him if Draco is killed, and Snape repeats that the Dark Lord is very angry, since he failed to hear the prophecy and does not forgive easily. She falls to the floor, sobbing about her only son. Bellatrix tells her that she should be proud, that if she had sons, she'd be glad to give them up to the service of the Dark Lord. But Narcissa screams and clutches her hair. Snape seizes her by the arms, lifts her up, and steers her back to the sofa. He pours her more wine and tells her that it might be possible for him to help Draco. Narcissa flings away her glass and slides back off the sofa, falling to her knees at Snape's feet begging him to look after him and see he comes to no harm. Snape responds that he will try, and Narcissa grabs his hand and asks him to swear to it and make the unbreakable vow. Snape repeats this after her, and Bellatrix lets out a cackle, calling his words empty. Ignoring her completely, only looking into Narcissa's eyes, Snape agrees to make the unbreakable vow, asking if her sister will consent to be their bonder. Bellatrix's mouth falls open as Snape kneels opposite Narcissa and they grasp each other's right hands. He coldly tells her she will need her wand and to move a little closer. The astonished Bellatrix places the tip of her wand on their linked hands and Narcissa asks Severus if he will watch over their son as he attempts to fulfill the Dark Lord's wishes. Snape says he will and a thin tongue of flame shoots from the wand and winds around their hands. 
Narcissa then asks if he will protect him to the best of his ability from harm. Again, Snape agrees, and another flame joins the first around their hands. Finally, Narcissa asks if it seems Draco will fail. Will he carry out the deed that the Dark Lord has ordered Draco to perform? After a moment of silence, Snape says he will for the third time, causing Bellatrix to look even more astonished as the third tongue of flame shoots from her wand and twists around their hands like a fiery rope. The movie section picks back up as Narcissa tells Snape that she doesn't doubt him, and Bellatrix declares that she should be honored, as should Draco. Narcissa quickly glances at her sister with a pained expression before she looks back at Snape and pleads that he's just a boy. Snape informs her that he can't change the Dark Lord's mind, but it might be possible for him to help Draco. Narcissa stands and approaches him as Bellatrix demands that he swear to it and make the unbreakable vow. As Snape stares at her in silence, she approaches him too, calling it empty words, walking around him as she states that he'll give it his best effort, but when it matters most, he'll just slither back into his hole. She walks back in front of him and calls him a coward. Snape orders her to take out her wand and she inhales with surprise. The camera then cuts to Snape and Narcissa holding each other's right wrists. They rotate their hands upward as Bellatrix points her wand at them, binding them together with strands of light as she asks Severus Snape if he will watch over Draco Malfoy as he attempts to fulfill the Dark Lord's wishes. Snape says he will and the strands of light glow a little brighter. Bellatrix rests her head on her sister's shoulder as she asks if he will, to the best of his ability, protect him from harm. Again, Snape says he will. Bellatrix then walks closer to Snape and asks if Draco should fail if he, himself, will carry out the deed the Dark Lord has ordered Draco to perform. After a moment's hesitation, Snape says he will for a third time and the light strands fade away. Narcissa and Snape release each other but continue to stare into the other's eyes. So obviously this just picks up where we left off from part one of this chapter. Snape isn't fully finished answering Bellatrix's questions. He's pretty much answered them, but he's kind of just still going on with his explanation, saying that the Dark Lord thought that he had left him forever, but he was wrong. And at this point, Bellatrix has more questions. She's just like, yeah, well, what use have you been? What information have we gotten from you? Mm, step back, Miss Lestrange. Yeah. Snape kind of continues his sass, and he's just like, I give my information directly to the Dark Lord. If he chooses to share it with you or not, that's up to him. And Bellatrix is just like, he shares everything with me. He calls me the most loyal and most faithful and the most, the most, the most. He's playing you, baby. Yeah. And Snape's kind of like, does he still... After the ministry fiasco. Oh, and then, and then she tries to blame Lucius. She does. And Narcissus is like, ma'am, step back. You better step off. Snape's like, okay, there's no point in playing the blame game. What's done's done. And Bellatrix is like, yeah, but not by you. Where were you when we faced all these dangers? More questions. Snape's like, um, where I was supposed to be? I was specifically ordered to stay behind because Dumbledore would have found it pretty suspicious if I started fighting the Order of the Phoenix with the Death Eaters, don't you think? And he also makes this little comment about, and you speak of dangers, forgive me, but weren't you facing six teenagers? <laughs> Which is super sassy because even Bellatrix points out that he knows... He is well aware that the Order of the Phoenix shows up, too. Yeah, but honestly, you guys started fighting a bunch of teenagers and couldn't beat them. Children. You were children. losing to children. You're such a big grown-up. However, in the movie, it was a little bit more dire. For the children, not for the murder munchers. Yeah, correct. Basically, this line of questioning is not working, so she moves on to the next one. Now she asks why 
He claims he can't reveal the whereabouts of the headquarters. And Snape says, you know how the secret keeper enchantment works, Bellatrix. I physically can't reveal it. I am not the secret keeper. She probably doesn't know, and that's why she keeps asking. I don't think she is the brightest bulb in the tanning bed. Or what did you say? I said the brightest Lumos from the wands. I like that, yeah. She's definitely not that. Right, but I think she's also just completely grasping at straws. She's very jelly belly in this moment. Yeah. It's not appealing. She is looking for anything and everything that could possibly discredit Severus Snape. And he's got an answer for all of it. He also says that the Dark Lord is satisfied with the information that he has been able to pass, mentioning that it led to the recent capture and murder of Emmeline Vance, which we heard about in the first chapter. And it kind of makes me wonder if that was his fault or if maybe she volunteered to be essentially sacrificed so Snape could appear as though he had information. But then she'd have to know the whole story, and the only other person who knew the whole story was Dumbledore. Yeah, I don't know. But I guess if she was going to die, maybe she was sick or something. Maybe. Who knows? But it's just interesting that he's taking credit for that. He also says that it certainly helped dispose of Sirius Black, and he nods his head at her and says, but I give you full credit for finishing him off. And I feel like he's now trying to stroke her ego a little bit, which doesn't work. She just moves right on to her last question. Why didn't you murder Dumbledore's favorite student right in front of Dumbledore? Hello. Right? Uh, (laughs) Let me think. Do you just answer it in your own question? But she thinks that he could have killed him at any point in the past five years and didn't. And Snape's like, well, did you discuss this with the Dark Lord? And she's just like, I well, he don't he does. He hasn't really been. I don't. I'm asking you, Snape. Not your business, ma'am. Yeah. Snape's like, well, if I had murdered Harry Potter, the Dark Lord wouldn't have been able to use his blood to come back, now would he? So Bellatrix just, like I said, grasping at straws. Oh, are you trying to claim that you foresaw the use of his body? And Snape says, no, not claiming that at all, just pointing out why the Dark Lord's not sorry that he did survive, at least up until this point. So Bellatrix again asks him, why did you keep him alive then? And to go along with what you were saying, look, it was only Dumbledore's protection keeping me out of the band. Don't you think murdering his favorite student would have turned him against me? He also brings up the fact that there were so many rumors about Harry himself possibly being a great dark wizard that when he first showed up at Hogwarts, he was kind of curious and wasn't inclined to just immediately murder him. He wanted to see what Harry Potter was all about. Is this a new dark wizard they can rally around? Could you imagine the murder munchers rallying around an 11-year-old? He's actually really curious about this because he says that, however, nobody ever tried to find Harry to see if that was true, that we know of. I mean, maybe. But you would think that Well, I guess they were just really loyal to Voldemort. But you would think that if you're only seeking power, that you would try to find the one that is most powerful. Well, Dumbledore's enchantments made that impossible. So for all we know, they were trying and just absolutely failing. That's true. And their only hope was when he came out into the open because he was of Hogwarts age. He does get taken and Bellatrix and them don't go after him. So... They choose to go after Frank and Alice Longbottom. Couldn't find him. Yeah. Snape says that it quickly became obvious that Harry has no extraordinary talent at all. He says that he's done his utmost to get him kicked out of Hogwarts where he scarcely believes he belongs. But to murder him or allow him to be murdered in Dumbledore's presence would have been risky. Obviously, Harry has some of Lily's talent. Like, you can't even separate that for, like, five seconds to be like, this kid is at least not a complete idiot. Like, there are definitely more not smart students at Hogwarts than Harry. Oh, yeah, for sure. I do think to a certain extent, I don't agree with everybody who makes this argument that Snape was just pretending to hate Harry because he had to be a bad guy. Oh, yeah, no, people absolutely make that argument that it was all part of his act. And I 
do think he genuinely had a lot of dislike for Harry because of James. However, I do think in this moment he is playing it up a little bit more. Maybe, yeah, since murder munchers be murder munching. Right. But Bellatrix finds the next thing to latch on to, wanting to know how Dumbledore has never suspected him in all this time. And Snape's like, because they played my part well. He actually said that in the movie section last week. Yeah, didn't really fit to put it in this side because there were so many other things that he said too. We needed him to say something in explanation there. And he actually goes on and says more than just that because he points out that she's kind of ignoring Dumbledore's greatest weakness, which is he has to believe the best in people. Got to see the best in everybody because you have to see the best in yourself, Dumble. Yeah, Dumbledore. He mentions spinning a tale of deepest remorse when he joined his staff, which led to him being embraced with open arms, although Dumbledore never allowed him nearer the dark arts than he could help. Supposedly, this is to prevent him from being tempted. But in reality, I think Dumbledore is just trying to protect him from the curse. But also, like, boo-hoo. Also, Dumbledore could have told him and been like, hey, your stupid ex-dude over there, he cursed the position. Snape's not dumb. I think he knows. I think it's entirely possible Dumbledore did tell him, but he has to show some way that it wasn't all being Dumbledore's pet, and unfortunately, that's all he's got. Snape then mentions that Dumbledore has been a great wizard, and Bellatrix kind of scoffs, and he's just like, no, he has. Even the Dark Lord agrees. You'd be a fool not to believe that, but he's growing old. He has sustained a serious injury that we haven't seen yet in the book, although technically, because we're going out of order, the movie has shown us Mm -hmm. his injury already, and that's because he has slower reactions, although that's not technically what it was. We'll talk more about that when we do learn the cause of it. But the biggest thing is that over all of these years, he has always trusted Severus Snape, and that brings him great value to the Dark Lord. And we had absolutely none of this conversation in the movie. Just that he played his part well. Yep. And that he fooled a great wizard. He's very careful in the movie to say a great wizard and not be very specific. He also is that way in the book, but in the movie, the way that he delivers it, he's very specific. And then with Bellatrix making the snore sound, hilarious. Yeah. At this point, Bellatrix is pretty unhappy, but she's out of questions. She doesn't know what to say next to attack him. So in her silence, Snape has the opportunity to address Narcissa, wanting to know what he can do to help her. At this point, she tells him that she has nowhere else to turn. Her husband's in jail. He's in the ban. And she says that the Dark Lord forbade her to speak of this secret plan. But, and Snape says, then you shouldn't speak of it because the Dark Lord's word is law. And Bellatrix gets very happy. And Bellatrix is like, is like what? We're on the same side for something? <laughs> She says, like, even Snape says you should hold your silence. Bite your tongue. At this point, though, Snape stands up and goes to look out the window. I think he's making sure that the street is definitely deserted. And he pulls the curtains closed. Because he's about to talk about it, too. And he's not supposed to. Yeah. He's like, I do know of the plan, as it so happens. I'm one of the few that the Dark Lord has told, though he does remind Narcissa that if he didn't know about it and she brought it up, this would have been a great treachery. Do you think he still would have helped her? I don't know. I don't know how he could have if he didn't know what she was talking about. I'm going to point this out real fast because it does make sense with what we're talking about right now. Why the fuck does Voldemort latch on to Snape so much? Probably sees a lot of himself in him, too. But he doesn't like himself. I'm so intrigued. Like, how did they... I want, like, a fanfic on their relationship because he does clearly seem to be the favorite boy. Yeah. No matter what. Most people, if they did what Snape did, 
I feel like he would have been like, or maybe, absolutely not. Yeah, I don't know. I've been thinking about that when we've been going through these episodes. I'm thinking, what is the draw to Snape for Voldemort? What does he get? Boom, this should be our Potter pondering, not whatever I put in there. <laughs> not whatever the fuck I put in there. No, I don't even remember what it was. I think this should be our Potter pondering. This is good. Why do you think Voldemort latches on to Snape? What do you think he sees in Snape? He's obviously competent. He believes that he's very loyal. Slughorn specifically says in this book later on, when Harry asks, that he was a competent, that Voldemort was a very competent young wizard, well on his way to being a first-rate wizard and could have worked in the ministry, could have done what, like, yeah. he's, he's very smart. I'm just very intrigued. Snape is 11 years younger than him. He wasn't even at Hogwarts at the same time as him. I mean, maybe it's the loyalty thing, but, you know, you would think crazy Bellatrix would have, I mean, she gets to have his kid, but he d obviously doesn't have any respect for her at all. Maybe it's because she's a woman. Ooh. <laughs> you know what? That has definite <laughs> but, truth ringing to it. Yeah. But Snape is like his, I, Protégé. He kind of protégés him. Yeah. To me, it feels like, I know that people always say that Barty Crouch Jr. is his most loyal servant or whatever. But to me, it feels like the murder muncher that's closest to him is Snape. And he chooses for it to be that way because he doesn't let everybody in. Snape knows about almost everything. I think he sees Snape as being reliable. And Barty Crouch Jr. and Bellatrix may be loyal, crazy. but they are fucking nuts. Indeed. They're both very crazy. And maybe he sees that, but I mean, he's also crazy. But maybe he sees like, oh, Snape is, is a generally stable person. Comparatively. Comparatively, that he can be near me and like he's held a job for this long. Like what job? He's also Bellatrix very hold? useful. He is very useful. He's in a very good place. But to me, in my brain, in this moment, what I was thinking about was that he seems very open to sharing a lot about himself with Snape. That he doesn't feel like, or at least to me, it doesn't feel like he shares with the other murder munchers as much as he shares with Snape. Yeah. No, you're right. That's a good question. We definitely need to get the keepers in on this one, too. Share your opinions, please. Yep. <laughs> I want to know, because Ellen and I are seeing that we're reading the... I'm seeing that we have read the books and interpreted some things very differently. Yeah. So we like to hear from you guys. So if you happen to want to call us, or if you don't want to call us, comment on the post, right? Yeah, we we'll read the them if you comment. We'll get to that when we get to the pondering. Oh, yeah. And it obviously outrages Bellatrix. Obviously. Obviously. I'm sure she has a lot of jealousy issues here that Snape is so favored at this point. She can't even believe that he's been told about it. But again, I think that's more jealousy than it is actually not logically thinking it through, you know? I just have this image of Snape and Voldemort like sitting in big poofy chairs like sitting in front of a fire and just having a chat i this is where my and they're just talking about all the stuff that's going on and voldemort's like yeah man it's hard <laughs> i would then see bellatrix walk in and like try to sit on the arm of voldemort's chair or something or like get right between the drag a chair up in between the two of them or something making it all about her but Aside from being outraged that he knows about it, Snape's just like, yeah, I know about it. But Narciso, what is it that you imagine I can do to help you? Because I'm not going to be able to change the Dark Lord's mind. And at this point, Narcissa starts crying because she's talking about protecting her only son. And then you got crazy ass Bellatrix over there trying to convince Narcissa that Draco should be proud because the Dark Lord's granting him a great honor. She also praises him for not shrinking away from it. And Narcissa's over there just sobbing because she knows that the only reason why he's not shrinking away from it is because he's a child. He's only 16 and he has no idea what he's getting himself into at this point. He's just a baby. Honestly, like this is the part that makes me sympathize a lot with Narcissa since I now have a child. I can imagine him growing up and making a choice that he thinks his family wants him to make and that he thinks he can fulfill. Yeah. And it's not 
I know Draco thinks that in this moment. He's like, oh, I can redeem my dad. He can, you know, once Voldemort's in power, he can get him out of Azkaban and we can be a family again, blah, blah, blah. Like, obviously, Draco has a lot of respect for his dad. So seeing him have to go to prison was probably super hard for him. Is it respect or is it approval that he wants? Honestly, in all honesty, I think Draco and his dad have a really good relationship because of how Draco reacts to things. He is so similar to his dad. I think that they spent a lot of time, like, I can't imagine. Malfoy Manor is very cold, like, for that. But I do think they probably spent a lot of time together. They He's their only kid. Yeah. Like, and he it doesn't look like he's, like, had a governess or anything. It's just been them. Like, yeah. they don't have to work or do anything. They have money. They can spend time with him. They can go on vacations and do all sorts of things and raise their little Nazi von douchebag the way that they want to raise him. Yeah. It's not like he has to work. So, yeah, they're probably both home a lot with him. And if he doesn't have a governess or something, then it's like, oh, I have to deal with the kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Narcissa is sobbing because this is her only son. He's young. Her he has no child. idea. what. Yeah, this is her only her child. Only and she assumes that the Dark Lord gave Draco this task as punishment for Lucius's mistake. Which was our trivia question. Yep. And Snape does not immediately confirm this. He kind of tries to circumvent it by talking about how honored Draco will be if he manages to succeed. And Narcissa... If he manages. Yeah, that's the key word there. Because Narcissa is like, he's not going to be able to. Even the Dark Lord himself hasn't been able to. And then you just have clutch her pearls, scandalize Bellatrix. <gasps> <laughs> and Narcissa is smart enough to backtrack at this point and say, I'm just saying nobody has been able to succeed at this point. And at this point, we don't know what they mean to succeed at. I kind of felt like this chapter was setting it up for Draco to have to murder Harry. I don't remember what I initially thought when I read this. It is kind of ridiculous to me that... They thought a 16-year-old boy was going to be able to murder Dumbledore, but... But they didn't. That's true. <laughs> but also, he has a good angle. I mean, he's at the school. Yeah. I mean, I know Snape's there too, but Snape isn't going to go right now and murder the person <laughs> that he's been, you know, being on their side right. for. So... They never had any intention that Draco would be able to do this. Honestly, he gets really close. Yeah, no, <laughs> if he succeeded, it would have been like a happy accident almost. Well, happy for them. His Bob Ross moment. And if he doesn't succeed, no harm, no foul, they'll just go forward with the plan as they intended. Narcissa continues to beg that Snape do something. Like, you're his favorite teacher, you're Lucius's old friend, and you are the Dark Lord's favorite. Please speak to him. Change his mind. I think it's really interesting that he still is Draco's favorite teacher. Because Draco, at this point, has to know that all the stuff that Snape has done, I'm sure Lucius and Narcissa have told him, like, oh, yeah, he did all this crap. He's, he's a double agent, blah, blah, blah. You know, because he yeah. even specifically says at the end of this book, he's a double agent, you fool. Like, he calls yeah. Dumbledore a fool and says that, He's a double agent, don't you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I would assume that that would change his opinion a little bit of Snape. Yeah. But I mean, well, all the other does. teachers suck, so. Because he treats him <laughs> he does very treat him unlike his favorite teacher throughout this book. But up until this point, he had been. Granted, Snape absolutely played favorites with Draco, probably because of Lucius's influence. Anyway, Snape just completely refuses to even try persuading the Dark Lord. He's just like, I will never succeed at that. I'm not dumb enough to do it. But he does then admit that he is angry with Lucius because Nazi von Douchebag I was supposed to be in charge and ended up getting himself captured. Yes, he's angry. Understandably, honestly. Like, he fucked up. It's... Interesting that you're mad that Lucius couldn't get the prophecy, but you also could not get the prophecy. <laughs> like, yeah. you're mad. You're dumb. You're not great. To be fair, I don't know that Voldemort ever went and tried himself because he was trying to stay in hiding. Grow up. 
go get your own stuff. <laughs> yeah. The whole thing was just a mess. He overplans things. We've had that conversation before, me and Katie, and I don't know if that was me and you or me and maybe me, Katie, and Megan or with other patrons. I know for sure that we have talked about how, and Mike's mentioned it, I think, that Voldemort tries so hard to make these complicated plans. That's why it takes till the end of the school year. Right. <laughs> that in the end, there's just so many complications, so many things can go wrong. And it does. One of his downfalls. One of many, or at least a few. So Narcissa is now positive that Voldemort just expects Draco to be killed trying, and Snape doesn't say anything either way, which pretty much confirms this. So she stands up, like, staggers over to him because she's distraught, and just grabs him by the robes and starts begging him to do it instead. And... He's like, I think that he intends me to do it in the end, but he wants Draco to try first. Because like I said, if he manages to succeed, Snape can be the spy a little longer. Although I don't know who he's spying for anymore if his master is then dead. But this is convoluted and overcomplicated. Well, so yes. many things could go wrong. But also Snape keeps saying if he succeeds. But the thing is, there is no intention for Draco to succeed. Right. Like, I don't know if Voldemort thought that Dumbledore would kill Draco to protect himself, which that is vastly underestimating, like, what Dumbledore would do, because he wouldn't do that. In he wouldn't, years. but Voldemort would, so he doesn't think a thing of it. Yes. He's not good at putting himself in other people's shoes, or in this case, Dumbledore's high-heeled boots. That's because he has absolutely no empathy because he was created by a love potion. Also, he's psychotic d all of the above <laughs> <laughs> d draco all of the above <laughs> poor dude it just makes me sad this whole this whole scenario with narcissa being so upset it's you see them as people like you know people say like bad people are also people yeah they also have those moments where they break down and I don't agree with anything that they do. I don't agree with anything that Lucius does. I think he's a trash bag. He's but, a Nazi von Duchess. Yes. But coming from a mother's perspective, knowing that your child is about to get into a situation that could kill them, and you realizing that some of your life choices maybe weren't the best and have now set your son up to be potentially murdered is scary. And she's terrified. She's on the floor crying, and one, her sister is being, like, not helpful at all, which is terrible. Like, your nephew's going to get murdered because you can't keep your life together. Right, because Bellatrix just screams helpful and kind. Again, it's that weird thing yeah. that I'm having where it's like, to me, my family matters above most. Like, if my sibling needed my help, I would do anything I could to help them. But Bellatrix just has that divide. Oh, yeah. No, Bellatrix is broken. There's a rattle in there. It's jangling around it's got to be the ban a little bit oh i'm sure but i also think that this is what separates us from them yeah. this is what separates the good from the bad because we can still see the, the humanity good. therefore the good in the bad side even if we can acknowledge that what they're doing is wrong and what they are doing isn't okay and needs to be changed and then maybe they even deserve consequences or some kind of punishment for it we can still acknowledge that it is difficult for them i think that the malfoys honestly all the stuff that ends up happening in seven they really do get a lot of consequences oh yeah their all their choices is there and even draco when he moves on and gets married and stuff his poor wife dies and he has to deal with that like his love dying and he has to raise his son by himself i think that's probably a consequence like i don't like that i don't think that that's but that's something to help him grow and learn right like draco grows and learns he definitely does and in this one is really when he start. like you see him in the seventh movie he just looks so like him and lucius look very similar both their eyes are really sunken and that they're really dark, and Draco watches a teacher from Hogwarts be murdered in front of him. There's a lot of stuff that happens in Seven. They definitely do get 
their comeuppance. And yeah. it's, but this is the beginning. This is like when Narcissa's like, oh my God, what? <laughs> yeah. But I think it's important. And that's something I always try to remind myself is that if we can't find that humanity and that good in anybody, are we that much different than them? Yeah. But I think it's also still really important to acknowledge that people are people and they make decisions that may be good or bad, which is kind of my stance with Snape. Anyway, back to this. Sorry, we sidetracked. Oh, man. Good conversations, though. But Narcissa is sobbing. Sure that the Dark Lord cares not even a little bit if Draco dies or not. Correct. And Snape repeats that he's angry. He wanted to hear that prophecy he didn't get to, and he's not one to forgive. I mean, he will if not forgiving them means he has no followers left, but he's not going to be like, you're fine. No, there are going to be consequences. The hug he gives Draco in seven. It's so awkward. (laughs) But at this, Narcissa falls to the floor sobbing about her only son and the unhelpful Bellatrix starts talking about how she should be proud that if she had sons, she'd be glad to give them up to the service of the Dark Lord. And I kind of have to wonder if that's how she really would feel. She doesn't seem to care about Delphi because Delphi is born before all that stuff goes down at Malfoy Manor with her. Not a son, though. She's not a son, but... She's been raised in an environment that does not respect women. She also didn't get a lot of opportunity to be a parent to Delphi. But you have that from the moment they're born. Maybe it would be different with a boy. I don't know. But gender is fluid. Doesn't matter. But maybe she had a whole Henry VIII complex and she was like, ah, I had a girl. Damn it. Right. (laughs) Unfortunately, because of the way that they like snuck in this canon after the fact we don't really know anything about what happened obviously she felt perfectly comfortable leaving her baby behind to go fight in this battle Mm -hmm. that ended up killing her which i think she would have made that choice regardless of boy or girl yeah they're an infant they can't take care of themselves let me give them to somebody who can take care of them and i'm gonna go fight for the dark lord and obviously i'm not gonna die because i'm the best right exactly so it never would have even crossed her mind that she was putting herself at such risk sucks to suck right so i have to wonder if she actually had sons that were grown that she was being a mother to if she had a 16 year old boy would she really be happy to sacrifice them is she that broken probably but at this narcissa just screams and clutches her hair So Snape grabs her by the arms, basically drags her back over to the sofa, gives her more wine because drink this, you'll feel better. And says, I'm sure in an effort to comfort her at this point that it might be possible for him to help Draco. Narcissa wants nothing to do with her wine and just kind of flings the glass away, slides off the sofa onto her knees at Snape's feet where she starts begging him to look after him, see that he comes to no harm. I really wish we had gotten this in the movie. I know. It was not this dramatic in any way, shape, or form. Like, she was very sad. She very was. clearly. And she was like, he's just a boy. Like she was, But she was just sad. It wasn't like this... Hysterical? Yeah, and I really think she would have been hysterical because it's that big of a deal. I wish that she had been. I wish that we had had her sobbing, begging at his feet to protect her only child. And I think she could have absolutely done it justice. She would have done a very, very good job. I think she did a very good job portraying Narcissa. Yeah, this was not on her. This was you, David's fault. You, David. But so she's begging him to look after him, see he comes to no harm, and Snape says he'll try. Narcissa grabs him by the hand and asks him to swear it, asks him to make the unbreakable vow. And Snape's kind of like, unbreakable vow. And Bellatrix is like, tee-hee, he can say it all he wants, but he's not going to do that with you. This does basically happen in the movie. And she's like, it's just empty words. Make the unbreakable vow. Yeah, they're like slight shift there because they have Bellatrix ask, not Narcissa in the movie. 
And I feel like that makes Bellatrix a little more personable. Like, oh, maybe you do want to protect your nephew instead of being a giant dillweed. Well, I don't think she was asking him because she believed he actually wanted to protect him. I think she was She's asking him petty. as a challenge. She was like, oh, yeah, sure, you'll help, but make the unbreakable vow saying you will because you're not gonna. Yeah, she's like such a petty Betty. Yeah. In the book, Snape just ignores her completely because she's just mocking him. She's not the one who asked. It's Narcissa. So he's only looking at Narcissa and he says, okay, I will. Maybe your sister will be our bonder. Obviously, this shocks Bellatrix, who was not expecting him to say he'd do it. And she just kind of stands there with her mouth open as Snape kneels down across from Narcissa and they grasp each other's right hands. My husband and I did this for our pictures at our wedding. And the guy who officiated our wedding held a wand. And the girl who took our picture, she put magic around her. It's pretty cool. Oh, that's sweet. Not as sweet in this moment. No, but... <laughs> scary. But, you know, it is different. Obviously, we don't have dramatic Narcissa in, in the movie. We just have a very calm but sad Narcissa in the movie. And they're standing. They're not on the ground, like, grasping their wrists and stuff. They grab, like, the forearm near the, near the elbow and do the twisty. They're so aggressive. Yeah. It's like, ah, ah. I mean, it looked good. It, it did, did work good. for the movie just set a bit of a different tone. It was less, in this moment in the book, Snape is very loving. I I think for Snape, he's very loving and, and... He's being very kind to Narcissa. Kind, yes. He also is doing what he needs to do to protect himself in this moment. He yes. knows that if he does not do this unbreakable vow, Bellatrix is never going to get off his case. This is literally his only choice. But it does seem like Dumbledore anticipated that. Yeah. So they're kneeling in the book, holding each other's right hands. And Bellatrix is just still standing there with her mouth open. So Snape's like, ma'am, <laughs> you need your wand and you need to come a little bit closer if you're going to do this. Sassy Snape is my favorite. Snape. I do love him. And Alan Rickman did that so well. Sassy Alan Rickman is my favorite. Oh, Snape. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Old man crush right there. Anyway, Bellatrix is completely shook, places the tip of her wand on top of their linked hands as Narcissa asks Snape if he will watch over her son as he attempts to fulfill the Dark Lord's wishes. Snape says he will, and then a thin tongue of flame winds around their hands. But it is a little different than how it was done in the movie. When they described it as being fire ropes, I really imagine just like red flames wrapping around their wrists. Yeah, I imagined it red. It was just a thin wire of like red flame. But... Yeah. And in the movie, it's white. Yeah. So like a white hot, but red. It. I don't know. It looks almost like memories. It kind of does. I thought that that was interesting because it was almost like you were bonding that memory to both of them. So that moment in time. Yeah, it did kind of have the brain jizz look to it. <laughs> Less goopy. It was the same question in the movie, but directed by Bellatrix. Yeah. She did kind of sort of take over this scene. Well, HBC gonna HBC. Yeah. So That was also probably a director choice or a script written choice. I don't know. They do ask all of the same questions because she also she being Narcissa in the book, asks if he will protect him to the best of his ability from harm. And Snape again says he will. And at this point, a second flame joins the first. So it's not the way they did it in the movie quite. It's like each question sent out another flame. Mm -hmm. And there were three questions total, the last one being, if it seems Draco will fail, will Snape carry out the deed that the Dark Lord ordered Draco to perform? And then the third one came out. And I have to wonder if they would do another string for each question or another rope flame. Bill and Fleur don't do that at their wedding, do they? I was thinking if people make unbreakable vows when they get married, how difficult it would be to get divorced. I wonder if cheating on your spouse would just cause your death then. <laughs> 
I kind of had that thought. Like, if you break an unbreakable vow, you, you die. die. Yeah. So does cheating on your spouse kill you? I'm going to point out again that the twins are very talented because when Harry tells Ron about this, he says that Fred and George tried to get him to make one when he was five. Yeah. This is hard magic. This is like deeply ingrained, like you have to mean it, like Bellatrix said. When we get there, we can talk about what yeah. they were doing. But this is hard magic. The twins are very talented. People always just say that they're just goofballs. No. no. They are talented. Not at all. And this scene definitely shows how intense that magic has to be. Yeah. So after that third question and the third tongue of flame comes out the wand and winds around them, it just sort of twists around their hands looking like that fiery rope or like I I visioned. I know it says rope, but I just pictured Wire. it being really thin. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they could feel it or if it was just visual. But that's where the book chapter ends. It's very similar in the movie. They just cut out the dramatics, I guess. Yeah. They cut out a lot of the crying. And All of, of the, the crying, bleeding. really? Yeah, really. She maybe has a tear. I think that's something maybe they were trying to get across in the movies is how stoic and noble-esque the Malfoys are. So she's sitting there. She's very proper. She's very hands in her lap. She's holding her wine. She's responding in a very non-emotional way about a very emotional situation, which is a very noble-esque quality. So noble nobility used to respond like that. Yeah, I think I still would have preferred to see the histrionics. Correct. I would have too. But this happens. I do love how many faces Snape gives Bellatrix <laughs> during. It's Alan Rickman just looking at her like, what? He <laughs> says time. so much with his face. Oh, yeah, he does. And I know he read these books, so I just imagine him saying everything that wasn't in the script with his face. And he knew what was going to happen. Yeah. He's the only one. It made him play it very well. Mm -hmm. But we don't get any explanation. He does tell them that he already knows, but there's like nothing more to it. Yeah. It's like, I already know. So it's NBD that you're sharing it with me. Right. <laughs> NBD. So after they do the bond in the movie, they're looking at each other deep into each other's eyes and the bond fades away at least in visual. Yeah. So if Snape breaks that bond, kerplunk, my guy. Yep. He cheats on her. He's a goner. Yikes. <laughs> I didn't even mean for that to rhyme, and it did. It's perfect. <laughs> if he cheats on her, he's a goner. But yeah, that brings us to the end of both the book and the movie at this point for chapter two. We already really talked about these actors last week because mm -hmm. it's the same scene. We just had to split it up. And that'll bring us right on to our Potter pondering, which we ended up wondering what you guys think Voldemort's draw to Snape is. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We're trying to get these posted by the Friday after the episode posts. So like I said, if you can get us your responses by Tuesday so I can get them in the episode, that would be great. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This week's Wizarding Word is Bonnie Wright birthed a human. Yay! Another Weasley has joined the fray. Her and her husband, Andrew LaCoco, who I'm not sure if he's a famous man or not, but I've never heard of him. A man. A man. She gave birth to a baby boy on September 19th, which apparently is Hermione's birthday. So the baby boy's name is Elio Ocean Wright LaCoco. And he is so sweet. If you haven't seen him, he's on Bonnie's Instagram. And it's nice to welcome another Weasley. Always. Because we need more and more and more Weasleys. And I'm not saying that sarcastically. We really do. They are a good group of people. The bestest. 
We also just want to take a minute to acknowledge the passing of Michael Gammon with a little wands up. Because that just happened recently and it was very sad. That will bring us to this week's trivia question. What color is the leaflet the ministry sent out about protecting your home and family against dark forces? The first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word hashtag security guidelines will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at foxsakepod at gmail.com and let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and TikTok at foxsakepod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to become a patron, you can find us on Patreon at Fox Sake Pod. Patronage starts at $2 and will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag, access to our Discord channel, chats, and more. Check out our page for the details. Any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 3, Will and Won't, and the corresponding film scenes that don't really correspond so much. Thanks for listening. Hope you hear us again. I'm Carly. I'm Ellen. And we are For Fox Fox Sake. Sake.